Investors Chronicle. Welcome to the Companies and Markets Show. It's Thursday, the 8th of February, as we record. To start today, we are going to talk about the big deal of the week. That's Barrett Development's 2.5 billion all-share takeover offer for smaller rival Redrow. We'll ask if the deal makes sense, if it's a sign of more things to come for house builders, and if it's a sign of better things to come for the housing market. Then we are going to look at the problems at Carex maker PZ Cousins, which was forced into a dividend cut this week due to circumstances beyond its control, specifically the major devaluation in the Nigerian Naira. We will ask if there's any light at the end of that particular tunnel. By contrast, buybacks could soon be on the agenda again at British American Tobacco, which reported full-year results this morning. But of course, the company has plenty of structural and regulatory headwinds to contend with. We'll discuss its prospects later on as well. And to finish, we will wrap things up with a look at Virgin Money's latest trading update and ask what it tells us both about the bank and maybe the state of the economy in general. Joining me to discuss all of this are Julian Hoffman. Oh, hello, Dan. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, Julian. And in the studio, Mark Robinson. How's it going, Dan? Very good, thank you. Mitchell Abiak, hi, Mitch. Hi, Dan. Hi, Dan. And Chris Akers, down from Scotland. Hi, Chris. Hi, Dan. Welcome, everyone. I almost forgot to introduce you all, but uh, I've done it now. So let's move on to the first company of the day. And as mentioned, well, it's more like two companies because there is this takeover deal, Mitch, uh, Barrett Developments and Red Row. Barrett was already the UK's largest house builder. This will make it even bigger. What's the thinking behind the deal? Yeah, I think the thinking behind the deal is that um, Red Row is is cheap. I mean, a lot of house builders are quite cheap at the moment, both on a sort of um, uh, discount to net assets and price earnings ratio. And Barrett has a fair bit of net cash, um, so it's looking to grow. Also, the market is is you know kind of choppy at the moment. Um, anyone who's tried to buy a house or has noticed their own value of their own home going down or the increase in interest rates will will know why the market's not doing so well but um yeah it's you can imagine Barrett is is buying red road to sort of bolster itself as the, as the downturn continues and then maybe hopefully sort of take advantage of a of a market upturn by being a larger company so yeah i i think that's the the rationale behind the deal but I, there's a lot of howevers um to that rationale but that's the sort of basic uh uh thinking at the moment and is it is it a sensible move? I mean, uh, Red Row shares were up a decent amount uh, on Wednesday when the deal was announced, or Tuesday, I can't remember now. Uh, Barrett's, though, were down a few percent, so market seemed a little underwhelmed. Some analysts, some observers are a bit more positive. What's your sense on whether this makes sense from, from Barrett's point of view? Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously the share prices move often in, in reaction to uh, uh, people trying to uh, take arbitrage from 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 what the 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 enlarged company will look like um but in terms of whether it's sensible for for all the reasons you've mentioned um i mean there's there's an argument that it's not because i mean i see writer robin hardy has pointed out um you you don't get much in the way of economies of scale in house building so if you're sort of if if you look at the sort of the margins of all the listed house builders, uh, even from the tiny MJ Gleason and Springfield all the way up to the the giants that you pointed out, Barrett and Taylor Wimpy, their margins are quite similar. So there's no guarantee that by becoming even bigger, you know, it will sort of make all these synergies that it says is um is sort of motivated the deal. 
also the the you know the, there's questions around how they'll achieve those synergies um the implication seems to be that they're going to sack a, a lot of people to to achieve those you know efficiencies which sort of undermines buying the 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 red red brand in the, in, in the first place because of course that that attention to detail and quality is what they're sort of famous for so yeah, and then I suppose the other sort of question about whether it's sensible is is the branding. I mean, this you can look at this two ways. You can look at this as a positive for the deal and a negative for the deal in that Barrett has a very different sort of model to Redrow. Redrow develops these very expensive um, homes and Barrett develops sort of more mass market homes. And it's sort of how those two strategies will fit together. Obviously, they're going to keep the brand separate and they're going to keep Chief Executive Ma- Matthew Pratt in charge. But, you know, there's a question about how those sort of two different cultures might might fit together so yeah mm. yeah as you say there is that spread across the market perhaps that the deal might might offer from the the higher end red road to the the mid and lower end that the barrett offers also maybe the potential that they can do more geographically because as you said this is an all-share deal but barrett is relatively cash rich red row has some more balance sheet constraints therefore the combined company should be able to free up some of those constraints from the Red Row side of things and expand more in areas where Red Row hasn't been able to but might have done if it had a bit more uh, flexibility with its own balance sheet. I wanted to talk, though, about the the prospects of this deal going through as is as well because some speculation in some quarters that uh, you know maybe there could be a sweetener to the deal, maybe someone else could come in. Equally, it does have to clear the competition uh, authorities as well. Yeah, those are two um, very valid points. I mean, on the uh, on you know on the sort of whether we might see uh, a, a bigger offer come come in or even another buyer, um, it is a good question. RBC Capital Markets seems to think that the the deal is at sort of the lower end of uh, when you look at sort of previous house builder deals. They've come in at a much higher premium than twenty five percent premium to net asset value, which is sort of what this deal comes in at. So they, you know, they might they might go back and come in with a bigger offer because Red Rose shareholders could turn it down. Although, you know, Red Rose, fifteen percent of Red Rose shareholders, a large part of that being being uh, Steve Morgan, um, do agree with the deal. So there's that to bear in mind. If we are, you know, sort of um, speculating about uh, another potential offer, my money would be on Taylor Wimpy. Now this is pure speculation, but. Uh, we rate Taylor Wimpy as a better company than Barrett. Just in-house, our, our rating for Taylor Wimpy is buy, whereas Barrett's is, is hold. And admittedly, it hasn't posted its full-year results yet, but in its trading update for the last calendar year, it said it managed to raise prices while cutting production. Meanwhile, Barrett and its results dropped prices and cut production. And it expects, and this is Taylor Wimpy, expects profit to come in at the top end of consensus, which would still be a big drop, but it's good in the circumstances. And it too has a decent balance sheet. It's of a similar sides, the rationale would be the same. So if we are going to see another offer, maybe at a higher premium, I think Taylor Wimpy is the is the company to do that. So, um, and there, I suppose there's also a question about whether Barclay uh, might make a move because it too is a luxury house builder. So you can see sort of um, more of a sort of cultural uh, fit there. But I mean, this of course is, is, is speculation. There might not be any other buyers in the market. Private equity is obviously a, a question as well. But um and then in terms of, yeah, the, the competition side of it, it's something that uh, perhaps deserves more discussion because the CMA is is due to produce a report at the end of this month, 
detailing its view about the house builders. Readers may remember that a while ago the CMA said it was investigating whether or not house builders control pricing using their land banks. They also were investigating a sort of connected competition issue regarding estate management charges, which we've written about in some detail in the magazine. Um, Now, the house builders obviously worth pointing out. The house builders deny that they're controlling pricing via land banks and uh, deny that they're sort of gaming the estate management charges system. But the CMA has pointed to evidence to suggest that they do control the market. So there is a big question about whether it looked kindly on the creation of an even larger house builder with a 91,000 home land bank, considering it's currently investigating whether land banks uh, equate to market control. Yeah, there's a lot of... Um, it's not a done deal just yet, despite uh, despite the sort of confidence in the in the in the RNS. Yeah, the the land bank point is is interesting as well. I mean, there are some who think you know Barrett does need more land itself, and Redrow has that particular attraction of a, a good quality land bank, so that's why it's buying them. Which might you know the CMA might look at that as you say. Equally, uh, the companies I think say you know we'll be able to build more housing together than we would separately which uh you know the proof would be in the pudding but obviously that's their kind of counter argument to that so we'll see how that how that sticks what about the results themselves uh, you mentioned barrett there what about redro what kind of condition is is it in as a company that's potentially about to be acquired now yeah so uh, like on the one hand the results are very similar because they both both of them as you'd expect sales and profit are way down because the the housing market is in a slump but there are some differences. Barrett is in a better, has a better net cash position, um, but its forward sales are down, uh, which is 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 not ideal. Whereas with Red Row, it's it doesn't have as much net cash um, because obviously it's it's spent that investing into the business. Um, but forward sales have 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 ticked up ever so slightly. So it then begins to sort of explain the rationale behind the deal because Barrett has cash to spend so it's decided to spend a house builder which has better forward prospects redro has less cash so it's accepted a cash injection into its business at a premium from a bigger player it's obviously difficult to sort of look at the two results separately without imagining the deal but i would say that the deal is if you're a redro shareholder i'd say it's a slightly better deal than if you're a barrett shareholder there's the question about whether they should agree to the deal but you know they've booked that sort of They've got this. They've got this sort of premium, almost locked in, as it were. It's whether someone comes in and makes a better offer. Um, there is a sort of, you know, take profits and, and sell argument um, for Red Rose shareholders at the moment because the deal is at that premium, and the future fortunes of the market are, are hard to judge. Um, notably, Investec downgraded Red Rose from a buy to a hold for precisely that reason. So they said, you know, the announcement means the shares are now at fair value. Which is sort of a, a solid argument for um, for Red Row shareholders looking at those results, looking at the offer, and saying, you know, perhaps uh, take take this win, as it were, and 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 reinvest somewhere else. Mm. The the other question is is will we see more of this kind of activity? And also, what does this mean for the housing market if it means anything? The RBC again, and we've mentioned a couple of times, they had an interesting point about Steve Morgan, the uh, uh, Red Row founder who also has a strategic land business and they think maybe he's trying to crystallize some shares to call the bottom of the market and so he can use some money to buy up more land, which, you know, would be an incredibly convoluted way to try and call what is a very hard thing to call anyway. But but could this deal be the sign of things to come in terms of more deals, but also, you know, 
housing market, as we've seen, is not doing as badly as some people thought. You know, mortgage rates are starting to come down, will presumably continue to come down if interest rates start to fall later this year, as people assume. You know, what what do we think on that regard? Yeah, I, whether it means more uh, M&A activity is, is, is an interesting question. Um, I suppose that the the answer to that is that it depends partly on the CMA, which we've already discussed, um, whether sort of, you know, private equity or sort of other house builders might see opportunity in economies of scale. There's a lot of reasons for that, but also there's a lot of reasons, as we've discussed, why economies of scale don't quite work for house builders. Having said that, Vistri at least so far, has managed to make it work. In-house, we rate that company as as a buy because it it seems to have made it work. Admittedly, it is doing something quite different because it's moved entirely into bulk sales. So maybe there's an argument to be made that you can scale up that, but it's harder to scale up um, private sales. As for sort of whether at the bottom of the market, it, it's, it's a very tough one, isn't it? I mean, um, there's, you know, we're, we're looking at sort of RICS uh, data suggesting that state agents are much more confident than than they have been. It's it's the first time in in a long time actually there's been a net positive sort of um, reaction to the RIC survey. And of course, house prices, according to Halifax, have gone up for the fourth consecutive month. So it looks like the housing market is recovering, but um, but that that can take a while to to feed through to the results of the house builders themselves. So yeah, it's it's. Uh, it, Certainly, house builders are 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 cheap at the moment. So there's there's an argument to be made that you know we might see more activity, but yeah, lots of questions, more questions than answers, <laughs> as ever. Uh, yeah, as you say, Vistri there was that deal for Countryside uh, just over a year ago as well. So there has been some other activity. Uh, before we move on, Julian, do you have thoughts on this this deal, the attractiveness or otherwise of it? Uh, well, my main thought is whether they're going to call it uh, uh, Row Rat or. Um, Red Row or something. I don't know. It's, it's going to have to change the the name in a, um, in, a in an in innovative way. I think they are going for a Barrett Red Row, but you're right. Maybe they could go with something more. Yeah, Red uh, Rat. Uh, more from... Yeah, Red Rat would be my my personal favourite. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's an interesting deal. I think from uh, the point of view of how investors are going to look at it. I mean, uh, as you know, Mitch is uh, you know, obviously Mitch is the expert in this field, but. Um, the, the the valuation is quite attractive for the for the sector as a whole, and you do wonder whether the the discount premium is now big enough that uh, investors can start punting a bit on this. But um, I mean, I, the, that I would say that from a value point of view, that's the, there is something interesting there. But um, yeah, the dynamics of the market are, are, are just tied up with interest rates and really beyond the the control of these individual companies. I think and. Mm. Um, doesn't make a, it doesn't uh, like everything else. It's a leverage play on that. Indeed, I know uh, you mentioned Robin Hardy earlier, Mitch, and he has written about why this recovery may be slower, more gradual than some other ones. Uh, but nonetheless, as you say, Julian, if we see interest rate expectations come down, you can be assured of a pretty decent rally for the sector. So, swings and roundabouts. But we'll keep an eye on this deal and see if any more emerge as I'm sure our listeners will too. For now, though, we are going to move on to Pisa Cousins to start with, Chris, the Carex maker, as I said at the top. They had a pretty bad week, it's fair to say, uh, reporting interim results, but the the big thing was the dividend cut due to the devaluation of the uh, Naira. Can you say a bit more about that, first of all, and about how that's affected them? Yeah, so a, a very weak set of results 
um, from PZ Cousins. For context, uh, Nigeria is the company's biggest single market, which is something a lot of investors might not be aware of. Um, the value of the Naira has plunged since the Nigerian central bank floated the currency last summer. It's down 70% over the past year and fell 40% in the week before the company's results. So obviously it's going to have a significant impact on, on the financials. Uh, management said it was prudent to cut the dividend by almost a half because of the material impact on the results of the devaluation. This meant a, a painful almost £90 million foreign exchange loss in the half. Africa revenue fell by a third and the company also cuts its forecast for operating profits for the full year. Yeah, I mean, the question with the Nigerian business, I suppose, is what do they do? Again, this is, you know, somewhat, well, entirely out of their hands, certainly the, the valuation of the currency. But uh, they've been trying some things in recent months, haven't they, to, to try and improve at least the perception of the business and their handling of it. They've been trying to, to uh, repatriate cash effectively from the business quickly. Uh, they've also... You know, buying out minority shareholders, I think. Is that right? Nonetheless, when you're faced with a currency which is collapsing, there's only so much you can do to protect revenues and, and profits. Yeah, so, so as you say, you're trying to do a couple of things, including repatriating cash. They, they actually raised prices by... Sorry, they went through 12 rounds of price hikes in the half in Nigeria mm. to try and address the very volatile situation, but that obviously wasn't enough to protect or accrual revenues. As you say, yeah, as, as they announced last year, they're trying to delist the Nigerian subsidiary through buying out minority shareholders. This is expected to complete by the end of this financial year. But I think the latest evaluation news means management's hands are very tied. It's very limited what, in what they can actually do to turn things around in Nigeria. Yeah. I mean, in some ways, the reason Nigeria is doing this is to, uh, you know, free float the currencies to improve liquidity and things like that, taking the hit up front. So that should mean they are able to bring more cash back more easily. <laughs> the only uh, downside being the value of that cash has fallen by 70% from uh, from a year ago. So it's a big struggle for them. Uh, they do obviously have a lot uh, of other aspects to the business as well, though. With the caveat that you can't really put this whole issue aside, how does the rest of the business look in the interim results? How's it been performing? In, interestingly, it was actually quite a weak performance across the rest of the business as well in the half on a statutory basis. So revenue was down across all geographies. One highlight was market share gains for the UK personal care business for the first time in several years. Um, but a weaker beauty brand performance still dragged revenues down in Europe and the Americas. As well as Nigeria, Asia-Pacific was also hit by foreign exchange headwinds. Combining that with uh, weak baby product sales in Indonesia meant that revenue also fell pretty heavily there. There was revenue growth on a like-for-like -like business, but that relied on price increases as volumes fell 5% overall. And, and while the operating margin rose by 110 basis points, that was on an adjusted basis. So, so I would say a pretty weak set of results. Mm. Uh, this dynamic we spoke a little bit about last week but you know for fruit producers consumer staples of trying to offset volume decreases with price increases it seems the pricing power isn't quite there and or prices have been going up for so long now that volumes are really starting to take a hit mm. as we've seen with other companies too so that's that's also a concern uh the valuation in the context of all this i mean it was down 20 percent on the the dividend news uh how do we see it in the context of all this uncertainty at the moment so we're still a hold on the business. The valuation 
is fairly attractive. So the shares are trading at 12 times forward consensus earnings, which compares pretty favorably to other consumer stocks like Unilever, which is on 17 times. But there is a lot of uncertainty for investors, obviously, given the, the situation in Nigeria. And we think it could take quite a while for the share price to look, look a bit better. And but by saying that, there is a lot of sort of brand power and brand equity at the business. It's got a pretty impressive roster of products. So there's still lots to feel positive about, I think, over the long term. But at least, at least in the short to medium term, lots of headwinds to contend with. Mm. Yeah, a difficult one at the moment. We'll turn to another of your companies now, uh, reporting this morning, uh, British American Tobacco. Let's start with the figures themselves before we get into the detail of the the structural death of uh, tobacco or, or otherwise, uh, because there was a bit of news flow this morning as well. But how did the figures themselves look? So it's a very mixed set of results from, from BATS, starting with the, the key figures. So revenue was down 1% um, over the last year, and that was driven by the sale of the Russian and Belarusian, uh, Belarusian businesses last year. Um, but there's also an 8% fall in cigarette volumes. As you know, the secular trend of declining smoking rates continues. Um, and, and interestingly, in, in the key US market, cigarette volumes were down by a pretty eye-watering 11%, which is not good. Mm. On the plus well, side... Not good for, for them. So. Not good for them. Yeah. yeah. On the plus side for, for the business, um, it posted revenue growth of 16% at its new categories division. So that contains vaping products, heated tobacco products and oral products. And that division actually became profitable two years ahead of uh, management's targets. Volumes were up 7% for vaping products and by a third for oral oral pouches. But the company sold fewer heated sticks and fewer oral sticks. And management is still working towards a target um, of deriving half of all revenues from these products by 2035. We'll come to vaping in a minute. But uh, the key thing this morning, which means the shares are up a fair amount last I looked, seems to be uh, the indication that they are trying to sell a stake in the Indian business ITC. Uh, the reason for the enthusiasm about that is that that should bring them closer to a time when they can bring back the share buyback because ultimately, uh, like Imperial Brands, you know, it is being run very much on a total return basis. Uh, you know, the big dividend yield and the share buyback when it comes, when it starts, could well be considerable. So that seems to have at least uh, attracted some interest this morning. Yeah, so, so last I looked, the shares were up 7% on, on the back of this news. Um, for context, BATS has about a £15 billion stake in an Indian conglomerate called ITC. Um, and management suggested in the results this morning that it's looking to, to cut this holding um, and bring cash into the business. And, yeah, and we think this could quicken the return of share buybacks because of the impact of this on getting leverage down. Buybacks were paused um, because of a focus on getting leverage down to the middle of the company's target range. This could be good news for investors. Mm. The the vaping side of things, there, the new products, as you say, they've reached that profitability ahead of time. But you know, when you see all the news flow around uh, uh, vapes and uh, non-tobacco alternatives, as they're uh, euphemistically called sometimes, uh, you know, that's pretty negative. Not least in the UK as well. You know, disposable vape ban that maybe isn't such a big deal for British American tobacco, but there's no doubt that regulators are cracking down on, on these products as well. How do they navigate that? Yeah, I think something like the, the government's disposable vape ban could actually be good news for London-listed tobacco companies, which might sound surprising for investors who might not, not know a lot about the actual products they're, they're selling. Mm. Um, 
because these companies' market share is actually being hit by lots of dodgy, illegal products coming into the US and other markets from China. Um, so cr cracking down in that sense could actually be good news for, for, bat, for bats. Um, in terms of the performance of new categories, so US volumes were down last year with the tougher regulatory environment having an impact. There are rumours coming out that BATS is going to try and launch um, its first heated tobacco product in the US soon. It's tried to do that in the past, but it's come up against um, regulatory headwinds, so it doesn't, doesn't actually have any heated tobacco products in the US at the moment. Um, new categories volumes did a lot better in its other markets um, in the last year, so in Europe and in Asia and so on. The uh, the impairment charge uh, was the big thing uh, when it was pre-announced a couple of months ago, and in these results is even larger than the first thought. I think twenty seven billion rather than twenty five billion on a uh, U.S. brands. I mean, that clearly is a big figure, but given the way the world is going, are there is there the potential for more such things in future with you know some of its bigger brands and you know the goodwill there, which is no longer. No longer such goodwill, really. Yeah, I think there is. So the company posted a higher than expected, yet £27.3 billion impairment charge on its acquired US tobacco assets. It flagged this in, in December last year when it said it, it expected to post a £25 billion charge um, against those assets because of headwinds hitting uh, the US cigarette market. Yeah, I think the higher charge does highlight the increasingly uncertain future for cigarette performance across key markets. You have ongoing regulatory headwinds, fewer people smoking in key markets, and also the pivot towards non-tobacco products um, as well. Um, and, and obviously the big impairment charge drove uh, a very significant loss in the results. It's worth mentioning the pre-tax profit position was a negative 17 billion last year because of the, the charge. Funny old world when uh, that kind of thing can lead to a big share price spike, but that's why we have trading updates before the full results yeah. and, uh, <laughs> and what have you. Mark, I don't know if you have a view on... Uh... BAT because, as I say, it is very much being not quite run on a runoff basis because they do have some hopes for the, the new non-tobacco products, but very much the argument is the dividend yield, the share buyback is the argument there for those who want to buy this kind of company. Yeah, definitely, because if they if they manage to reinstate that and uh, keep it going for any length of time, it's it's conceivable that you could actually get a free carry on the stock if you held it for about eight years, you know, given the effect of compound interest rates and reinvestments. Um, it, it's, it's odd, really, because it wasn't all that long ago that the sort of new category products were being touted as the opposite of a gateway drug, really, the type of thing that would get you off conventional uh, tobacco products. And in, in fact, I don't know if it ever ever came to it, but there's talk of it being actually available through the NHS as well. And in that period, you, you know, the prospects were looking that much uh, uh, brighter for uh, bats and imp imperial products, imperial brands rather, and uh, the other players in the market. But, you know, we, we seem to be stuck in this uh, new puritanical age. So I, I think... Um, I think for shareholders, the one thing that they <clears throat> have to keep uh, on top of or keep well aware of is is the level of uh, cash flow into the company. Uh, the write downs obviously aren't helping the investment case, but uh, you, people are buying into it not based on a standard valuation, but just on the hope that the the company manages to to grow or maintain those total returns over. A, a long enough period so they they get their original capital back and then anything after that is cream really. Mm. 
Yeah, I think that's a fair analysis. We'll start with you, Mark, because we're going to turn now to Virgin Money, which had a, a trading update this week, so not a full set of figures, but perhaps said some interesting things both about uh, the business and the, and the way it's uh, treating or viewing the UK economy and therefore about the UK economy itself. Uh, you looked at this in, in your column this week. Why don't we start by looking at the provisions that it's been taking and how they've been, been faring? Yeah, well, um, at, at the time of its full-year figures, I think that was released back in November, they they set aside another three hundred and seven million, I think it was, uh, linked to expected uh, uh, loan delinquency. Uh, this is uh, basically unsecured lending, credit cards, uh, and the like. That figure increased slightly in the update, but uh, only marginally, about seven percent. It was well uh, received by the market and when i when i was looking at it 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 seemed to me and in fact it it, it links in with what uh, mitch was talking about early on the uh, the d- delayed impact of in- interest rate rises and falls in the economy and the the, the housing market provides a, an example of this but actually uh, the the credit market that uh, Virgin Money is operating uh, also uh, holds true as well. Because I was interested, I, I, I looked at some figures from the Resolution Foundation, and I was I was only vaguely aware of this, and I certainly wasn't aware of the scale. But they referred to the um, the situation with uh, net interests in UK households as being totally against the grain. In fact, they said it was unprecedented insofar as that uh, with increased saving rates that we've all received over the last uh, 12 months or however long uh, that, uh, you know, the rising part of the interest rate cycle has been going, they've more than outweighed any uh, increases in mortgage, uh, increased mortgage payments. The reason behind this is there's a there's a lagged effect. A lot of people uh, had long-standing fixed rate arrangements, and I think it was only at the beginning of this year that a lot of people have gone on to variable rates. So we can expect that benefit to, to decrease over time, and also given the fact that interest rates are likely to come down too. So I, looking at it again, I, it, it may be a case that um, looking where... Virgin is at the moment. They're in a pretty decent position. They've increased their uh, overall credit loss provision up to £578 million. And as I say, that was well accepted by the market. But there's a possibility that um, delinquencies might um, increase in the in the first half of this year. We also had um, figures out from Begbie's trainer, their, uh, their red flag alert, which suggested that uh, there's been a, I think it was about a 23% increase in the number of companies that are now in severe financial distress. Now, there's obviously a difference between uh, corporate debt and an unsecured uh, personal debt, but it does underline that that it can take a while before these interest rate increases has a material effect on on businesses and households. So in in summation, I would say that this, this is a good update from Virgin Money. It was pretty well received by uh, the market as well. But they mightn't be out of the woods yet. Yeah, they, I think they also kept their net interest margin forecast for the year stable, which is reassuring for a bank at a time when base rates are expected to fall. 
but yes, there is that resiliency in the the provisioning. Although they said that you know certainly the the uh, delinquencies were coming in consistently better than they expected, i.e., fewer people being late on their payments. So you know there's a chance. Equally, you could say that they may need to take some of those provisions back, but I think you're right, they're not going to be doing that anytime soon because of this lagged effect and the, the risk that these things could get worse before they get better. Plus, they've got decent uh, liquidity coverage too, mm. which is uh, uh, a point to take on board. It was very interesting, though, because it just had, you know, when I was looking at the results, or the update, rather, it did have a sort of a, a wider spread across the economy, I think. Mm. Julian, what are your thoughts on Virgin Money? Yeah, it's an interesting outlier, I think, Virgin, because um, the main problem, I guess, is the lack of scale in comparison with the the other high street uh, brands. Mm -hmm. um, the, the reason why uh, interest rates tend to lag with them is because the, the loan book isn't really big enough to absorb the shock at one time or push through the benefits at another. So they're always a quarter behind everyone else. But uh, as, as Mark was saying, the, the fact that they are stabilizing their delinquencies is quite positive um as we go through the a period where more people are actually switching to a variable rate um in various products and uh, that means that uh, the underlying margin which um is actually quite low for for a high street bank of about 1.89 percent or 1.9 percent of um net net interest margin uh, will will strengthen. So th th it's it's one of those one of those companies where there are just lots of paradoxes at work at the same time, and um, the the headline figure uh, the headline figures the underlying figures are, um, are definitely more positive than you would expect from this point of the cycle. Yeah, it's probably worth stating as well that one of the strongest aspects in this trading update was card lending balances growing four percent quarter on quarter, and obviously their lending prudently or according to their, their risk ratios, but equally that increase in card lending is perhaps a, a sign of things to come as well. We've discussed in recent weeks the likes of Currys and a lot of their uh, credit financing schemes seem to take off as well in recent months, so definitely something to keep a close eye on. That, though, does bring us to the end of today's show. We have unfortunately run out of time, so thank you very much to Julian, to Mark, to Chris, to Mitch, and to our producer, Maddie Apthorpe. We'll see you next time on another Companies and Markets show. 